Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine. We invite you to join us as we take a deeper look into the stories and ministries highlighted in Christian Living Magazine. Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight. I'm Sandy Jones, the host of this show and publisher of Christian Living Magazine, a 501c3 nonprofit ministry. This show has been made possible by a generous grant that we received so that we could come to you each week and take a deeper dive into the stories and ministries you'll find in Christian Living Magazine. I am so excited today to have my friend Matthew Nuvale. Did I say it right? You did. Yes. You did. Or as his friends call him, Motu, joined me in studio today. Motu has graciously shared his testimony in our newly released March-April edition of Christian Living Magazine. I want to thank you so much for sharing your story, your testimony with our readers, and for joining me today. Of course. Of course. You're welcome. He's so quiet. I love it. I love it. So um, just a little history. Motu is one of the founding partners of Belden New Uvalde Solutions, which is a service-disabled veteran-owned small business. That's a mouthful. I had to write that down so I didn't drop a word. (laughs) Where you guys supply, um, and in some cases even apply, the PPE equipment and bacterial killing supplies that deal with COVID, correct? Yeah, yep. A medical device, medical supply company. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You have some products that really intrigued me, like eight-hour yep. sanitizing hand sanitizer. Stuff, hand sanitizer. That was really component as my ki- grandkids were going back to school. Oh, I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. Um, you guys have stayed current with the public needs as as we as a nation, as a world, have figured out COVID and, you know, the ever-changing compliance issues with yeah. CDC. It's it's funny when you and I talk and you're like, yeah, well, that's kind of changed. And oh, now we're able to do this. Yeah. And and that's always fun. And as can happen, you know, with, with print, there's a lag time. Oh, boy. <laughs> right. So as, as can happen, things in your life have changed a little bit since you interviewed with our editor, Gabe Anderson. And you hinted at it at the story, but I don't think things were all in place yet. And yeah. so you weren't able to really divulge much. But do you have something you want to share? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, a company I was with for, for 10 years helped build, uh, went from two stores here in the Valley to 70,000 C stores across the country. Uh, I was fortunate uh, with a group of partners to be able to buy the brand and bring it back to Idaho. So the brand is Rhino Rush Energy. So super excited. That yeah. is awesome. When yeah. When I first met you, you were like the national sales director mm-hmm. of, and, and I loved, uh, because I am a workaholic, I'm a self-confessed workaholic, and I loved Most the of us are. passion <laughs> you had for the company, the brand that you represented. Oh, yeah. um, I can't do energy drinks, they mess with my heart, but I always, it was like, I wanna have that stuff because I love the passion <laughs> Motu has for I their products. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah, it's exciting. That's, but that's not why we're here today. Correct. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Mo too shares his testimony in our new edition. And it's that is actually hitting the stands this week. Oh. So probably started on Thursday or um, Friday, but it'll be going out to the rest of, you know, we're in over 600 locations in the, in the Treasure and Magic Valleys. And so it takes a few days to get to that many locations. Go get you a copy. Go get a copy. But your testimony is so powerful. Thank you. I, I, I met you at church. Yeah. Not going to, you know, completely transparent. But you shared your testimony or the Reader's Digest version of it in yeah. the back of our church sanctuary one day. Yeah. And I just sat there with my mouth hanging open. And you're young enough to be my kid. And I'm like, I looked at my husband. I'm like, we got to have a bigger house because I'm adopting him too. <laughs> <laughs> I just, 
What a transformation story. Thank you. So here we are today, because as you and I mentioned before we went on air, the magazine's great. We love the magazine. That's been our primary focus for eight years. Yeah. But you can only say so much in 1,200 words. <laughs> yes. <you> so, <laughs> so here we are. We get to talk a whole lot more. Yes. Um, we don't want to give it all away, but let's just, um, let's just say that um, growing up kind of left you longing. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely growing up. Uh, um, I like to call it my knucklehead phase, right? I, I got three phases in life. It's my learning, growing, maturity phase. Um, and so definitely started getting into trouble at a really young age, um, smoking and drinking. And, and so, yeah, yeah, broke grew up in a, um, in a divorced home with a single mom and just me and my little brother. And so uh, just kind of had to figure life out early. Um, and I didn't make a lot of good choices in the beginning. Yeah. And again, I know you personally. And so, <laughs> so it started out, it sounds like it was, well, some of our listeners may not agree, innocent kid fun. Yeah. I, you know, well, <laughs> most kids have given the opportunity, have, have taken a puff or two off of a cigarette, whether yeah. we condone it or not. Yep. But how, how did it translate? I mean, how did you graduate from kid mischief oh, yeah. to trouble? So yeah, so started, uh, I think, right, right, smoked my first cigarette at 11, uh, got into juvie at 13. Um, really, a, a lot of that started transforming around the age of 15, 16, started hanging out with gangsters and um, wanting to emulate, right, the power um, and the strength. And then also the companionship, right, the relationships that I had um, with my boys that, that, were, that replaced the family that I didn't really have at home. Um, and then 18, 19 was about the time where I started doing big kid crimes. Um, first felony was uh, was a felony burglary um, and a grand theft. And then uh, the next big one was uh, robbery and aggravated assault, illegal use of a firearm and a felony. And so, yeah, graduated quick. So started with smoking and hanging out with other kids that were uh, like-minded. And we just got to figure out how to have fun and started drinking and then uh, the progression of those friends into newer friends that had uh, different ideas and different uh, ideologies. Um, and all of it, for me, was that was what I wanted, right? I didn't, uh, my mom was a single mom, so she worked really, really hard uh, when I was younger. And um, I did everything in my power to protect my brother. I didn't want him to be like me, um, but I loved the, the thought of it. I loved... Uh, the ability to hang out with the boys and go out and cause mischief and um, and then be the cool kid, right? And at the end of the day, not only was I cool, everybody was afraid of me. And uh, it wasn't really that hard, right? I'm, I'm a big Samoan kid, so uh, there's not very many of us here in, in the Valley. And so, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was what I loved at that moment and I wanted at that moment. And then, uh, then I graduated. You know, so part of just on a on a personal side note, part of what really surprised me about your story when I when I first learned your story yeah. is that you were graduate of Meridian High. Yeah. Which oh well, I, I didn't graduate from Meridian High. I went to Meridian. Oh, High. you went to Meridian. <laughs> yeah. I stand corrected. Yeah. But that's I I graduated from Meridian High, oh. and and I'm like because you're you're very open as our listeners are hearing. You're very open. I hung yeah. with the gangsters. Yeah. And I'm like, I went to Meridian High. We didn't have gangsters. Oh, yeah. And so that was eye-opening to me is that how naive and blind, because 
I don't think times have changed that much. I think they were still there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, yeah. we just didn't, I, I, in my naivety, I didn't see them. Yeah. And so maybe I just stayed low enough off the radar that I went, yeah. There were, and there was some that went to, that went to reading with me. It was more of, I, I chose a crowd outside of school um, and started hanging out with older, the older crowds. Um, so as I, it wasn't just the graduation of friends, right? I graduated into a whole new level an age group of people. Um, so there was a few that went to school with me, but, but really I, it was, it was out of school people that I, I found, uh, kind of found my home with. Well, and your size probably endeared you to them. Oh yeah. You know, cause you're, you're buff. Yeah. No, I, I was a, I was just a really big fat kid though when I was younger. Right. And, and, um, but being big is being big. And so, Yeah. Well, and, and, and we have to be honest, I, you know, again, I grew up here and we don't have a large Samoan population Yeah, and they are tough. That was, I mean, that was, <laughs> you know, it's, I, one of the guys that I dated in high school worked for a local sod farm and, and he gave me a whole respect for the Samoans on their sod team, oh, you yeah. know, and how strong they were and how muscular they were and don't mess with them because yeah. they do have a temper, Sandy, we you know, do. and I'm just like, really? And it's funny because I know you and I'm yeah. like, he has a temper. I don't think so. Oh, trust me. Big many, many bear. people are like, <laughs> are you sure this is your story? Because that's who I know now uh, and who you were. They don't, they don't match up and it makes total sense. But yeah. Most Samoans, we are more loving yep. than anything, but uh, but if you uh, you cross that line, it's a it's a line that very protective. <laughs> yeah, You're very, very protective. Mm-hmm. That's that's the one thing I've noticed. Yeah, um, fiercely protective of mm-hmm. your family and 100%. who you call family. It's yep. your family isn't all blood. Nope. And. Um, you're you're very protective of those in your inner circle, and yep. that's and that's sweet. I love that. Oh yeah. So. Um, so you landed in prison and in the article we shared that you ended up in solitary or as you call it, mm-hmm. the hole. Yeah. So I, again, I, what we don't talk about is in another career when I was very young, very, very young adult, I was a court clerk. And so I went to, for six months, I went out to the prison with a judge to do habeas corpus hearings. That's my extent of knowing what goes on inside of a prison. As I walked <laughs> through the gates and I went to the courtroom and I stayed in the courtroom and we would go and have lunch yeah. with the general population and then leave, oh, you know? And nice. so, but I was 19. And okay. so I was very protected. <laughs> <laughs> I think Pendine was different back then. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was, unique time of my life but i am completely naive so this was your second felony mm. so i caught two and three at the same time you caught oh my goodness okay <laughs> so did you go straight to solitary no, no or no, no. okay so you were naughty inside yeah very <laughs> okay. very naughty okay. but, um yeah so i when so i went to prison and well i went to jail at 19 and then i was in county for about seven months and then from there, I got sent to prison after I got sentenced. And then when you're in prison, you go to something called the Registering Diagnostic Unit. Mm-hmm. That's where they decide, are you good, are you bad, which prison you go to. Um, and so it was about, I don't know, about seven months after I was in prison. And uh, and it was kind of that realization, I'm the big, I was the big guy on the yard. And, yeah. um, and so really what happened was is I was on the tier one day and we were playing cards and it was a rookie 
officer that was walking, and I thought it would be a really good idea to make fun of the officer. Oh, whoops, not good. And so I started making fun of him, and uh, and so he thought it would be cool to go search my cell and take things from me. So he went up to my cell and decided to just tear my whole cell apart um, and took some things that I had gotten in county and brought to prison with me, letters that were drawings, things like that. Um, and he confiscated stuff that I had the whole time. And so I thought for some reason that I could get away with cussing out a cop uh, and uh, was screaming and yelling. And then uh, they called me out into the foyer and had me take a seat and put me in cuffs and they sent me to the hole for 30 days. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm a little claustrophobic. I can't imagine being <laughs> shut down yeah. anywhere. Oh man, it's what, so the hole is 23 hour lockdown and you get an hour in a cage to walk in circles outside. That's amazing. Yeah. So they bring you your food, everything. Mm -hmm, everything. You stay in that room 23 hours a day. Yep. So that's that was kind of your wake up though. Oh, yeah. What happened in that room? So you, do you want to? Yeah, that's where my testimony share? started. Yeah. Yeah. So in the cell and, and on the window looked out to, we call it the breezeway. And that's where everybody walks to go to chow or go to the gym. Um, and I used to pound on it when my tear would walk by and I'd see my boys uh, and they would just drop their head. And, they wouldn't look at you. Yeah, they'd be like, you're an idiot. What are you doing? Right. Um, and it was that realization that my, what I thought of myself was only what others thought of me. Right. Um, and it, that's what broke me. Right. And uh, I sat down and, and I cried and said, geez, like I'm doing time and I only care about what other people think of me. Right. Um, like I don't even know who I am. Um, and so a few days earlier, right, they bring books by and you get to choose the books. And, and I thought I was so cool. So I was like, I don't need books. Right. Um, and in the hole, no matter what, inside the cell is a Bible. Right. No matter what. And so yeah. um, was sitting there crying. And the next day I um, was bored sitting in the cell and, and having this realization that I'm going to have to figure something out. And uh, you can only do enough push ups and sit ups right, in the hole for 23 hours. And so the Bible was there. Uh, it was an inmate testimony Bible. Um, and so... Not was, not placed by by coincidence either, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's funny. My wife just found the Bible. Oh, uh, you were able to keep it? No. She, no. We went on the hunt for it because um, it's, really, it's really what started my journey with Christ, right? And uh, she finally found it on eBay. Um, and we, we just bought it. So oh, that's I, I, cool. Yeah, we, we just got it. So um, in the center of the Bible was a bunch of testimonies of, of inmates that had given their life to Christ in the hole. And uh, I landed on a testimony of a gentleman that uh, was a shot caller, gangbanger um, in the neighborhood. It was the biggest dope dealer. Um, and uh, his goal was to turn as many kids into gangsters for his neighborhood as possible and to sell as much drugs as he could sell. And so ended up getting incarcerated. And so when he got incarcerated, he decided this is my same vision. I want, right, I'm going to be the shot caller. I'm going to run all the tears. Um, and I'm going to move all the dope in the prison. And so uh, so when he started getting dope in the prison, uh, the only place that they could meet was in the chapel for him to be able to distribute it to the other tiers. Um, and long story short, um, one service, 
he showed up to distribute and all the other tiers got shut down and he was the only one in there. And it was like the pastor was talking to him. And the words were that, that I always remember was, we're getting too old to gangbang. You're getting too old to sell drugs, but you never get too old to give your life to Christ. And it was those that 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 sermon that unconsciously he remembered all of the other yeah. sermons, right? He wasn't paying attention to them. It just he was in the room and hearing it. And he had the aha moment and went back to his cell and flushed all his drugs and got on his knees and prayed for the first time and said, God, I, I don't want to do this anymore. So after reading the story in tears, because it's an amazing story, I it was the very first time I ever prayed. And, and it was somebody that you could relate to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Made a lot of sense, right? It, there was a lot of correlations there in, in my mentality and, and things um, that I wanted to do and be bigger and better at. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I'm Polynesian, right? So Islanders, we grow up, right? Knowing God and, and, mm-hmm. um, and being told you got to go to church, right? That's, you don't have an option. Um, but I never had a relationship with that Christ, is a difference. Yeah. Right? And I never focused on that relationship. Um, and so after being in there and I started reading the Bible, I didn't know where to start. After I got out and I was fortunate, I was sent to a different tier, a different unit, um, and then started my journey. And I started going to the chapel and wanting to learn more about Christ and dig deeper and understand how to read scriptures and um, definitely change the direction of uh, my life and, and who I uh, was going to become the moment that I met Christ. So they have a lot of volunteers, and this is something we have not discussed, so sorry, I'm springing this on you. Um, so they have a lot of volunteers. I know a lot of volunteers yeah. that go out, that hold church services in the chapel out, out yeah. south. Um, is there, off the top of your head, is there one that or two maybe that just really connected with you that maybe you've reached out to since you since you got out? Pastor-wise? Yeah. Um, or even volunteers. I have, I have friends that go out so whole chapel. the most memorable volunteer, and I, I, unfortunately, right, it's been 10 years since I've been in prison, but um, was a guy that came out every, it was like twice a month, and he sang. Oh. And he would sing, right? It was the very first time I'd ever heard I Can Only Imagine, right? And it was the only access to really Christian music, but he was my favorite, and what a powerful song. Oh, my God. That just ministers to me yeah. every time. Yeah. But he would come out and sing, and I would never miss a service that he would sing at because I love music, of course. Yeah. And you sing like a songbird. <laughs> I appreciate it. And and I, I didn't get to sing in prison. And so um, it was super awesome. So he was probably the most memorable. Really a lot of my journey, because what I began to do is I tried, I began to couple it with classes and uh, just to kind of understand the direction that I wanted to go. And, and I didn't want to be that guy that found Christ in prison and left him at the gate. Right. And so I knew that I had to begin the process of putting on my new skin in prison so that when I walked out, I felt strong enough. Um, so, yeah. So now that you're out mm-hmm. and you have seen, you know, it's, I, I have lots of friends who work in prison ministry and and we have some of those who are mutual and, and different yeah. things. But the one thing that I learned in, in partnering with people in prison ministry is 
how much life changes while you're doing your time. I mean, today people can look at the last 11, 12 months through COVID and see how fast our world has changed. But put yourself in the place of an offender who has served seven, eight, 15, 20 years and then come back into a world where when they went into prison, a computer filled a room and today Hmm. you carry it in your back pocket. You know, there's just so much. And then they have all these requirements to fulfill the terms to be able to stay on parole. You saw some real needs, and oh, yeah. so you have started um, a, your own prison ministry, yeah. and COVID's kind of slowed that down yeah. a little bit, but let's talk a little bit about life support. Yeah, so life support's a, a program. Uh, so I went into prison at 19, uh, and unfortunately, when I got out of prison, I actually got out the same way I went in, right? I didn't gain any new knowledge, information on how to get out of prison and be successful, um, and so uh, I created a life support based off of what I wish the 19 year old me would have had access to. Um, and so uh, life support is, is uh, a training program on sales and marketing uh, where we'll do a dig, a deep dive in, in being able to help men and women understand how to get into the sales and marketing and what that looks like. Uh, also trade programs where we can partner with businesses. I partnered with businesses here locally that would hire a man or a woman that have gone through a training program for, for a specific trade. Yes as well as uh, small business ownership, teach a, teaching them how to start their own small business. And, and a lot of men and women have great ideas. But the last part is called life support. And that's where we teach men and women how to budget, what credit is, how to open a bank account, how to fill out a job application, uh, how to mend bridges with family and friends that need to be the pillars in their life when they get out uh, and need to be a part of that circle. Uh, and then, uh, help men and women be able to set the correct expectation when they get out of prison. And then also to set expectations based off of what their family needs from them as well. But I think the mending bridges between family and, and, and men and women that are incarcerated is super important. Yeah. Uh, Cause you know, you do a lot of stuff when you're uh, not in the right head. So um, yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of it. You know, I, it's, as I read that quote in the magazine article, I thought a lot of us don't know how to apologize for the little things. Mm-hmm. And so I love that. I love that aspect. I love the whole aspect of life support. So how can someone who, I I know that COVID slowed down the launch, but how can someone reach you if they want more information about life support or as we move forward, because we are moving forward and life support's able to fully launch, how can people reach you? Yeah, so you can find me on Facebook at Matthew Nuvali, it's N-U apostrophe U, V as in Victor, A-L-I. Or you can shoot me an email, it's Matt dot nuuvali at gmail.com awesome thank you so much yeah you know folks i knew i motu i knew because you and i can never have a short conversation right. one of us will call and it'll say you got two minutes yeah well 20 minutes later we right. hang up so exactly. i knew this would go fast but this does bring our time to yeah. an end this time folks you can read the rest of motu's story in our march april edition of christian living magazine it's on the free press racks this week in over 600 locations throughout the Treasure and Magic Valleys. And always for those who prefer a digital reading, you can go to christianlivingmag.com and read it under current issue. We invite you back next week when we have an extra special guest in store for you, someone who I promise will encourage you with hope and inspiration. Until next time, God bless. This has been Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine, where it's our desire to deliver faith, hope, encouragement, and perhaps a new perspective about God's love to our listeners and readers. 
as we showcase the hands and feet of Christ at work in our community and beyond. For more information on today's program, the magazine itself, or to subscribe, go to www.christianlivingmag.com or search Christian Living Magazine on Facebook for an uplifting start to each day. Christian Living Magazine is free to pick up in over 600 locations throughout the Treasure and Magic Valleys and in Central Idaho through McCall. Our mailing address is Christian Living Magazine, P.O. Box 867, Meridian, Idaho, 83680. Or you can email us at christianlivingmag at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week.